I'm Hemant Mehta. This is Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. We're joined today by Billy Hallowell. Billy is the faith editor for TheBlaze.com, perhaps better known as Glenn Beck's website. He's also written pieces for The Washington Post, The Daily Caller, The Huffington Post, and several other websites. He's also a frequent guest on Fox News Channel. His interest in politics and social issues goes far back, though. He used to be the CEO of Voter Watch, a nonpartisan nonprofit focusing on government transparency, and even began a website in high school encouraging students to make a difference in their communities. Billy, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So how did you get involved uh, going from these kind of community service, you know, government transparency, those type of activist groups, but in a nonpartisan way, to a more conservative-leaning uh, website? Yeah, you know, I think, I think it's a really interesting question. And I, and I think we, you know, we live in this fascinating media landscape where you sort of have, you know, you have the Huffington Post, right, which has always been sort of looked at as, left of center, and you have the blaze, which is looked at as, as right of center. And I think, you know, I guess before I even get into the backstory, it's interesting, you know, from my perspective, especially when talking to people on the left and people who um, maybe look at the blaze and they and they hear, you know, Glenn Beck's yeah. website, and they have sort of this assumption, mm-hmm. you know, right away um, about what the blaze is going to be. I mean, no doubt our audience is conservative, um, more conservative than not. Um, but, you know, there's there's sort of different departments at The Blaze. You know, you have radio, you have TV, we have a TV network. Um, there's a lot of commentary going on there, and that's the purpose of it. And TheBlaze.com, um, while there may be a lot of conservatives reading it, you know, we, we try to cover stories. and In fact, we do cover stories in a really nonpartisan, unbiased way. Now, now you know, we could talk through some of that, and I can sort of explain to you a little bit more how we, you know, approach stories. But... That's sort of the way that, that that goes. Now, I have always been, it's funny, I was trained as a journalist. I went to school for journalism, um, you know, and I ended up getting into to commenting on, so, you know, social, political issues. Um, and that sort of led me to Fox News and, and into some other venues. And then I sort of went back into journalism again. So I sort of had this fluid, um, you know, career back and forth between commenting and journalism. And I, and I think... You know, to me, at the end of the day, we all have opinions, right? So we can get on TV and we can and we can write articles and say there's no perspective that we're doing it um, fairly. And I think that you can do that, you know, fairly regardless of where you really stand, because we all have opinions. So to me, it's a matter of tactics. And so I hope that answers the question. But I but I. Had, I've been fortunate enough to sort of live in both worlds. Yeah, I mean, it does answer the question. Usually when I'm reading your articles, usually about the same things I'm writing about mm-hmm. on Friendly Atheists, we, we kind of cover a lot of the same stories. You're right. The the stories tend to be pretty uh, down-the-line journalism when I read your articles. The only time we I think I have an issue at all is sometimes with the headlines because yeah. they take maybe a different stance or a different way of, of saying the story than the one I'm using. Right. Um, but I think you're right. There is that difference, that line between journalism and commentary. Um, do you ever yeah, see that? You know, yeah. But I think, and I think it's so important you know, for your listeners, for every everybody. You know, to me, I would almost rather know where people stand. And I know that conventional journalistic wisdom is, you know, oh, you you can't let anybody know what your opinion is. I mean, old school newsrooms and a lot of newsrooms today, journalists are very afraid. And, and listen, I don't think you should go out screaming your opinion. There are certain issues that I'm definitely open about, faith being one of them. Um, but I feel like at the end of the day, if I treat people fairly in my coverage and they see through the coverage that, 
and listen, I'm not perfect. None of us are. We make mistakes, and, and that happens. But if I'm fair and I make an attempt to be fair and people know where I stand, I feel like they can almost trust me more. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's the same for the Huffington Post or, or anywhere else. I love knowing the perspective of the people who I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it really possible to be completely unbiased, like in, in a blog atmosphere, in an online atmosphere? I think we all try to... It, be we, as we try, fair as we be can. as fair as possible, but I, you know, I think I'm fair when I write, but I don't think I'm un, unbiased. Do you think that's a possibility anymore? No, I mean I don't think it ever was, and I think this is part of the problem. I mean, and I say this as as a reporter, as a journalist, I don't I don't believe it's possible to enter into any issue. I mean, there are a lot of issues that I, on a scale from zero to ten, you know, ten being very liberal, zero, zero being very conservative, I'm probably a five on, and I think. You know, a lot of us have those issues, but most issues, I think, we lean sort of one way or the other, and it's just really difficult, I think, to jump in and say, oh, I'm looking at this with a blank slate, you know, there's no perspective. That's just not human nature. I think human nature is even the stories you pick, right? Um, I mean, there's certain things that I would cover at The Blaze that maybe stories would do well at The Blaze that wouldn't do well at Huffington Post. But sometimes, like you said, you know, there's stories that you cover and in fact, I just um, had to you today on a story, you know, that you had covered, and I thought it was really interesting. And I and I went and uh, did some digging and, and covered it and gave you a hat tip for it. So you know, it just it really depends. But no, I don't think it's possible to really look at something and say, oh, I have no opinion, and now I'm going to ap- approach this in a way that I have no perspective. You can be fair, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a separate thing. Do you think uh, we're approaching a time when? Uh, totally unbiased, at least in name, that sort of journalism, it seems to be fading away. It yeah. seems that we're just hearing a lot more commentary. And and I agree with you that it, it's kind of nice just knowing where people stand. And I can judge their writing based on, you know, what citations they have, what they're saying. That That's all well and good. Do you think we're going to a place uh, where it, it is really all commentary because that's what people are reading? Is there a place for honest journalism somewhere? Yeah, there should be a place for honest journalism. And I think, you know, and, you know, some people may disagree and with having to post to the blaze, but I feel like there's a lot of interesting conversation going on and an attempt at indefinitely, not only an attempt, actually accomplishing honest journalism. The New York Times, I mean, there's lots of outlets out there that I think people would accuse of maybe having a slant, but they're really doing um, good work. And I think, but I do think, I mean, look at CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. I mean, who's the loser out of those three? The loser out of those three, unfortunately, in ratings is CNN, and that out of the three is probably the one outlet that is making the biggest attempt, and some would disagree with me, but I'm going to just go there and say it, at being fair um, and balanced in in their (laughs) coverage. But, but, you know, people people definitely want more of the the sort of, you know, the Sean Hannity and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the shows over on MSNBC. I think that is where... Now, you can balance that out by having guests on who have different perspectives and who can combat the host, but that's a different thing from, you know, picking up the New York Times and reading it. So, right. so what issues um, what issues do you think are becoming more popular in the conservative movement? Like, are people still fighting the fight against, um, you know, gay rights, or have has that been abandoned? And if so, what, what do you think is the next uh, big story for people? You know, I think that's a really interesting question, and I don't, you know, I don't know the answer to it. I think right now everybody is so tied up still on both sides with the Hobby Lobby ruling and yeah. birth control, and and really, I think you know, for a lot of people, it's the birth control issue, and I think a lot of conservatives look at sort of the government issue tied to that. I mean, both sides do really. So I think 
you know, we're we're looking at a time where there's so many interesting issues out there, like pot legalization, which I don't think is the biggest issue in the world, but it's an issue that people are talking about. And you have conservatives and liberals sort of crossing over and taking mm-hmm. stances you wouldn't expect um, on on issues like that. But you know, right now, I think for conservatives, and, and this has been the case since Obamacare, it, it's you know really looking at big government. How big is the government? Is the government too large? Should the government be providing these services to people? And, you know, it, it's that age-old debate that I think is really going to be have a huge impact in the midterms. And, um, you know, and, and look, look, there's a lot of people on the left who are unhappy with, with Obama for a variety of reasons, too. I think any president, you know, in their second term nowadays with the sort of media power that we have going on, they, they face an uphill battle um, to to maintain high approval ratings, so it's it's not. Uh, I think obviously we saw this with Bush, and his numbers were even lower. Although Obama hit 39 percent, I think in a Gallup poll this week, which is pretty interesting, putting him potentially on the same um, you know par with 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 Bush. You know who knows what will happen in the next year and a half or so. Right, and how that'll affect the upcoming elections. Yeah. Um, I do want to go back to a second, um, and maybe I'm going with this in a place you don't think I'm going, but do you actually, did you get hired by Glenn Beck personally, or did you just uh, end up getting hired by someone else for his company? That's a great question. No, so I, I've been at the Blaze for a little over three years, and at the time that I joined, there were, gosh, there were probably only four reporters um, on the site, and I was either the fourth or the fifth. Uh, so I met with Glenn, but I was I was actually hired by Scott Baker, our editor in chief, um, who is still the editor in chief at the Blaze. So yeah, it was it was a hiring decision through Scott, and um, you know back then we were a lot smaller as a company. We we didn't have anywhere near the number of people we have now. So you know, you'd see Glenn a lot more. And yeah. I live in New York City, and he lived in New York City then. So um, he's now down in Dallas. But yeah, he, he wasn't uh, directly Glenn Beck's hiring. So uh, how many people are working at the Blaze now? Well, you know, there's different departments. I don't know the exact number, but I would say, gosh, it's got to be over 300. Oh, and wow. That's not okay, so significant. So you were there yeah, at the ground level. Yeah. Um, so here's where I was going with that. Um, you know, for all the things people on the left say about Glenn Beck, I mean, let me compliment him for a second. The one thing I think it's safe to say is he is really, really good at self-promotion, like starting this this whole The Blaze Network and really getting that out there as a subscription service. Uh, I guess a question I have for you is, what have you learned kind of being there from the ground level and seeing this thing blossom into a big voice uh, for the conservative uh, for the for conservative viewpoint? What have you learned from kind of seeing that happen that maybe a lot of us outside of it wouldn't know? Yeah, you know, I think for me, the authenticity and I think, you know, authenticity is key. And I, and I think what I mean by that is when you approach coverage, there are a lot of issues. I think back three years ago when I started and I think back now and you're always on sort of a journey of learning and getting better and being fair and looking at both sides. I think we have been I have been encouraged to challenge and really seek truth. And I know that everybody's truth is different. And that's part of the reason why we live in sort of this climate of nobody being able to agree on anything. And in so many ways, it's, it's toxic. But I, I think the company's key to success has been, in my view, surprising people in, the, in that we are fair. You know, we are a website that is known as a conservative news site. Um, and I think people have, again, they have assumptions going into that. And to me, the growth has been fascinating to watch because I can't tell you how many people I interact with who will say to me, 
gosh, I can't believe how you, you know, how fair you were. And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm being, I'm, you know, listen, I'm a reporter. That's my job. I have opinions. I have my perspective, but you know, I'm not going to go out and do a hit piece on you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell the truth about what you said to me. Um, and that may be a good truth that you said or a negative truth, but your words will speak for themselves. And I think that's why we people have trusted us, and I think we've won some people over who maybe, and not everybody, but maybe wouldn't have, have thought they were going to be fans, you know, at the beginning before actually getting a chance to interact with us and, and see some of our content. Well, with that in mind, are you, I understand, you know, Glenn Beck is the figurehead of the plays. Are you allowed to disagree with him? Is that frowned upon at the blaze or are you kind of permitted to, like you said, follow your own truth? No, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't, I don't ever have, I can't ever think of a time where Glenn Beck has reached out to me and said, I didn't like you did that. And I mean, I, yeah, I'm totally free. I explore lots of different subjects. Um, I, you know, we have, you know, for instance, our meetings, our editorial meetings, Glenn Beck is not running them. Um, you know, our edit staff is, and there's a, a fine line. I wouldn't even say a fine line. There's a bold line, I think, between our commentary and our, and our editorial in terms of our edit team, um, not op-eds, but our actual edit team, our reporters who we've hired. And so, yeah, there's not dictation going on when it comes to what stories are going to be covered, um, in the faith realm and in the politics realm. There are, of course, big stories you have to cover, like every outlet is covering. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there, I'm, I would imagine, I can't speak for Glenn, there's, maybe there are things that have been written that, you know, he thought, oh, that's an interesting topic. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of that for the site, but that there is no direct sort of mandate on, on what we cover. I'm really curious to find out, uh, as someone who writes about religion and definitely, uh, I think has some criticism for our movement, uh, being someone from the outside what do you think, besides theology, what do atheists and the atheist movement, as you see it, what do we get wrong? What are we doing that we're just shooting ourselves in the foot about? You know, I don't, and I don't want to make the mistake of clumping all atheist activists or all atheists together. And I think that that was probably coming into this position, something that I did. And I think a lot of Christians and a lot of religious people do all too often. Oh, well, gosh, that person's an atheist. Um, you know, I can't, they're, they're all the same. Right. Um, Therefore I know the following things about them. Right. Right. I mean, listen, I've, I've talked to, I've interacted with David Silverman. I've interacted with you, obviously. I've interacted with lots of people. And so for me, I mean, the, the one thing I would say is I think there are some activists in the movement who sometimes do more harm than good. Um, and now when I say that, obviously everybody has their own tactics and the tactics are aimed at whatever their end goal is. And if that is, Going to court over an activity display, that's what they're going to do, and they have an end goal in mind. Um, but, you know, people like Todd Stifel, who I think is an anomaly in so many different ways because, you know, we've done profiles on him. I've had drinks with him. I've interacted with him, um, and we're pretty friendly. You know, he is somebody who I see as very calm and, and a very positive person, but who sometimes funds some groups that I think do some damage sometimes to the public image of atheist activism. So I don't know. Sometimes I think there's a little bit of shooting themselves in the foot in terms of the, the image that's being projected that I think outsiders are seeing yeah. of atheist activists that is not always a positive image. And, and that's probably a critique you would have for every group yeah. of any sort, right? There's always and those cr- handful of people. Evangelicals. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. What do you think, uh, 
when you talk about the conservative side, then uh, what type of groups do you think go against the grain? Do you think are doing damage to to that side? Are there certain evangelical organizations or conservative groups? I don't know whether it's the Tea Party or evangelical Christian groups in particular. Do any of them do more harm than good? Or are they speaking for the majority uh, of people? Really good question. I think, you know, in the Tea Party is actually a really good example of a group that I think is much like atheist activists in particular, where you where sort of one person says something and it becomes, okay, well, this is what the entire Tea Party stands for and, and believes, and it's not always accurate. And, and so I guess, you know, I, it's, such a, it's such a tough thing, but I would say, I mean, conservatives have done, and Christians in particular, have done a really poor job of handling the gay issue, right? I mean, they've not done a good job of it. They haven't been able to lovingly in many to- in many ways, and, I, and when I say Christians, the most vocal voices sometimes, they haven't been able to articulate what they're saying without some coming across hateful or nasty or not understanding the issue. Um, so I think there it really depends on the issue. I think there are sometimes, I mean, you know, there are, there are people, and I'm actually refraining from naming people specifically, sure. but there are people who. Um, and I didn't do that for atheist activists either, and I had names um, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there are people who just really, they, they open their mouth, and it's like, oh, you're sort of rolling your eyes and saying, why are you saying this? You're making Christians look ignorant and ridiculous. And so, you know, I, I mean, lots of issues. The, the gay issue, I think, um, just the way that some people have handled um, President Obama, you know, it's fine to oppose President Obama, but you know, without really going after specific policies and attacking him. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I think the majority aren't doing, but the very small, tiny minority, when they're saying certain things, that they're becoming the voice. It's like Westboro Baptist Church. Right. I mean, the crazies are running around with, you know, these signs. You know, no Christian in their right mind, regardless of how supportive or not supportive of gay marriage they are, wants to be associated with Westboro Baptist Church. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, and I'm not by any means comparing certain spokespeople who might be controversial with Westboro. Right. It's just sort of an extreme example of that. I want to go back to one thing you said there. You said the uh, some of the people have kind of handled the gay issue in the wrong way. I guess I'm wondering, is there any way you could, uh, and by you I mean kind of the, the conservative uh, side of the uh, evangelical world, or I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong, but the religious right or something, is there any way they could have lovingly said we oppose marriage equality? Because I, I have a hard time believing there's a way they could have done that. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think that's a great question, and I think that it's such a complicated issue that we could probably do a three-hour podcast about it. and I know people, the response to that is always, um, you know, my friend John Fungelsang, who's you know liberal comedian, always says, no, it's not complicated whenever I say that. And I say, yeah. no, it's complicated in that, you know, you can have a marriage equality debate and you can have a debate about homosexuality. And you, I mean, they're different, in so many ways they're related, but they're different debates. And I think Christians have focused so much on the legality of gay marriage um, and not focused enough on having a discussion about homosexuality, let's say. And who knows, you know, people aren't going to come away agreeing on that, but rather than having a discussion about why they believe what they believe, um, a lot of Christians have focused on making sure it's never legal. Uh, and, I th- and I don't know that that was really good energy spent, because we are, I mean, you're sort of looking at what's happening now, gay marriage is becoming legal in many places. And so, you know, so yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, and I'm oversimplifying it, but I think that we could have, 
you know, Christians can have better discussions about a very complex issue instead of dismissing the issue and dismissing gays and lesbians and saying, we're not going to, you know, these people are not going to be part of my circle and sort of putting up this wall when that's really the exact opposite of what people should be doing, what Christians should be doing if they want to get their message out. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I've heard from a lot of, I guess, progressive Christians who still want to say, you know, we we love gay people. We just hate the sin. You know, that old uh, saying. I Every time I hear from those people too. forget the extremists, mm-hmm. I still feel like, well, I don't care. You're still wrong. You're yeah. still you're still opposing the thing that that I want to see. Well, and I think what you said before, there's no I don't hear a good way to say I don't think you should have the same rights as other people. Yeah. But I'm also really I'd like to hear why. Why is it? The gay issue, like, why is that where it seems so many people have been willing, like, why is that the hill people are willing to die on? It just seems to me like such a strange, small, relatively small issue that's affecting very few people's lives who aren't gay. Yeah, I can kind of understand it when it comes to, say, abortion. If you have feelings that you're killing, you're killing a baby a human, or something, yeah, yeah, that that I get that. Yeah, why why gay marriage? Why do you think that's? The... Yeah, no, I think it's I think that's it's so interesting, and I don't know, and I think that's part of the reason why it hasn't been managed well that it became such a big issue. Um, you know, I don't know that it should have, and I do think I mean abortion is a very different issue, and I always laugh when the two are clumped together because they're so there's such different issues for so many different reasons. Sure. Um, but, you know, I don't know why that has become sort of the – I think we lived in a very conservative society in terms of those sorts of values where it wasn't talked about. I mean, for, for centuries, this has been something that um, has not been talked about a lot, especially in America the last couple of hundred years, um, openly. And so I think when there were sort of title shifts in society, people reacted to that strongly, and I think – you know, Christians reacted that to that strongly among everyone else, but really felt pretty passionately about it. And instead of sometimes having the discussions, and listen, a lot of these discussions do happen. I think, you know, I think they do. I, and I don't think we hear about them. We sort of hear the, the big sort of debates, you know, you sort of, you see the Westboro Baptist Church, you see some of the other groups, and then you see some really good Christian groups that just don't use the the right language on this. And and I think, you know, it's it's difficult. And what I mean by the right language is actually being welcoming and having a discussion. You know, it's okay to leave a discussion and not agree. Um, and I know that that's a, it is a really hard issue because it's such a personal issue and people will really be offended when they, you know, if you're, if you're gay and someone's saying to you, um, you know, that they, that they don't support gay marriage, that's a very personal thing. And I don't think that, um, Christians in particular have considered how personal that is for people. And part of that has just been because it wasn't an open thing that people were talking about. There wasn't as much exposure to people um, who were gay um, because it just wasn't as accepted. So I think some of that is is changing, and you're going to have a lot of people who say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I, I have no problem with gay marriage. I totally support it, but I still have some theological issues with homosexuality. And that, to me, even though I know... That is something you guys probably would still have an issue with. That, mm-hmm. to me, is where the conversation should be happening, not on the gay marriage issue. And, again, people are going to disagree, right. but it's a healthier area for d- debate. When, when you're with your conservative friends or even, you know, in your editorial meetings, do you guys talk about those issues in a way that's very different from the conversations we may hear on, say, Fox News or right-wing radio? Yeah, you know, I think it's funny, you know, if you were to sort of go into the Blaze newsroom and talk to some of the reporters or overhear conversations, I mean, there's a lot of different views on a lot of these issues, and there are debates. I mean, 
We've had good marijuana legalization debates, you know, um, among staff members. We've had really interesting discussions about gay marriage. Yeah, so there, there I think, are a lot of these debates and discussions. It was an issue for me for a long time I didn't want to talk about because it's just so emotionally, you know, I always find myself in, you know, in the middle of the issue sort of trying to help one side understand why one side feels the way they do. Um, so I sort of, it's an issue where I, I sort of fall in the middle, which sounds weird in that I can at least understand the different perspectives on the issue, I think more than most people on the two ends can. But yeah, so these these are discussions that we have and not everyone agrees. And I think that's the healthiest thing. Um, and one of the things I love about the team I work with, and it doesn't matter because the reporters are there to report and it doesn't really matter whether they agree with the issue or not. Well, kind of in that vein, you know, Hemant and I, we both blog for a very specific audience, but we're no strangers to criticism. A lot of people, even, you know, within our own movement, are very very free with their criticism if they say, if we <laughs> say something they don't agree with. Do you find that? Do you post things that you get kind of flack from, from your own side? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, especially in the Twitter world, I mean... I know you guys are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. You, mm-hmm. you you tweet things, you say things, and um, it sometimes starts a debate or a discussion. And there are times you're going to say things that are going to upset people who, and they say, "Gosh, I can't believe you're saying this. I thought you would, you know, agree with us on this." And I, but I think that you know, if we're going to be healthy human beings, it means that we sometimes have to go with what we believe is right and not what a group of people that we subscribe to are telling us is right. And so, you know, I have no problem with that. I think if people are going to have you know, my, I mean, I critiqued some Christians on this show for not handling the gay issue well. Some people will take offense to that probably. Sorry, I think that it's the truth. So, you know, I think people have to speak out and, and you know, say what they believe their truth is and not worry too much what their side is going to say. And, and that's healthy. That's what makes, I think, that's what refines um, viewpoints for the whole when you know, some of the parts are actually saying, you know, well, maybe we're not right on this. Speaking of Twitter, uh, so you're on Twitter and you sometimes get into as much of a heated exchange as you can in 140 characters. And you also live in New York City. So I guess, how do you pick your battles? How do you know who you want to have a discussion with or an argument with? No, I think that's a really good question. And it's hard because, you know, right when you hang out with your closest friends, you know, you tend to get into discussing some of these issues. And a lot of my closest friends tend to be liberals. And so you know, we sometimes avoid, you sort of learn, okay, what issues am I going to avoid? Mm-hmm. Not because I don't mind having the discussion, but because I have some friends who get really upset when we just <laughs> discuss some of these things. But, you know, I just go with, like I said, what I think, is, if I believe it, and I feel like it's I'm comfortable saying it on Twitter, I mean, there's some things I'm not going to discuss on Twitter, I'll do it, and I'll talk about it. And, you know, I might be wrong. Someone might point out and say, no, this point you made is not accurate. And I might have to go back and think about it and say, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I was wrong on that. And so, you know, for me, it's just, it's, I think living in New York has really been helpful in that, you know, you can live in a bubble, but I think it's really interesting to be the outsider living in the bubble um, and, and having to figure out how to cope and interact and make friends. I think it's one of the healthiest things that, that I could have done was, was move to New York. Um, so we're uh, coming close on time. I just had one last question. Uh, with the midterm elections coming up, with the 2016 elections, I guess, kind of around the corner. Is there anybody in the GOP that you look up to or that you see as uh, somebody who really is flying the flag in the way you wish they were? No. You know, the answer is no. I don't really. I actually think, here's the thing, I don't like, both parties are just, I think at this point, abysmal. I just, there's nothing, 
I, I mean, there's interesting people, right? I mean, you could pull anybody out. You could say, okay, Chris Christie has some interesting viewpoints, but then right. there's 50 other things that are wrong with him. Rand Paul, and I feel the same way about Hillary Clinton or anybody else on, on the other side. I don't know, I don't know enough about some of the candidates, quite honestly. I don't know enough about Rand Paul. There's certain things that are very, well, gosh, I don't know how I feel about that. And then he says, I mean, he, go, he goes to Berkeley, right? I mean, who can go to Berkeley? What Republican is going to Berkeley <laughs> and getting a standing ovation, right? So, you know, he's interesting. But, you know, I don't know. There's interesting people out there. I, I don't know who would want to be president in their right mind. But for me, it's yeah. not so much a party thing at, at this point, um, because both parties are just so far off the rails. Uh, before we leave, I, I heard you make an appearance in the Nicolas Cage Left Behind movie. Is that true? <laughs> yes, it is. How Did you what? meet Nicolas Cage? Tell me all about him, please. <laughs> I did. You know, it's funny. When I got there, he, he had filmed all of the scenes in a shorter period of time and left. So he wasn't even there by the time I got there. But um, all the other people, Jordan Sparks and everybody else, they were all there. And uh, it was a very hot August day last year in you know Baton Rouge, Louisiana, like 105 degrees with no air conditioner inside of an airplane um, on a set. So it was crazy. But yeah, that is true. That rumor is true. True story. I have been an extra in a Nicolas Cage movie as well. What? I never told Jessica this. So it's <laughs> Billy and I are the same person, Jessica, is what I'm getting this at. This is like here. a club. We're in like a secret <laughs> club. I feel How so betrayed. We're, we're bonded by Nicolas Cage, which is the scariest thing Wait, we have ever said. Did you meet Nicolas Cage? I did meet. I stood behind him. Was and, he wearing a wig? Uh, not to my knowledge. Uh, mm. He might have been, actually. He probably was. He's going to sue me. <laughs> well, that, listen, that movie is going to spark a ton of debate, and I'm sure we can have many interesting <laughs> conversations about that film, which comes out in October. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm fascinated by that debate. I am. I, I think it's such an interesting debate that Christians don't even agree with each other on some of it. Fascinating so, debate about um, Nicolas Cage? It's fun. <laughs> yeah, fascinating debate on Nicolas Cage and the whole Left Behind concept and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, thanks so much for joining us. That was, I got to say, that was fun. Yeah. Had a good time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Billy. All right, have a good night. You too. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.